lot today. We are, we are celebrating the Lord's table together this morning and also meeting today to, as a church to um, seek his will. I thought it would be a good day to spend a little bit of time on, um, especially on our Lord and what he is doing today and through his church. And so we'll be looking at some um, New Testament teachings uh, once again on the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. Just a few verses here in Ephesians 4. Verse 11 says, and he gave some to be, he, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we, we, we gather today to especially remember him, to study his word together. And Father, we're thankful for the great love he has shown us and be willing to take our place on the cross. Father, you are our creator. You are the almighty God. And yet mankind disobeyed and rebelled against your word. Father, we have sinned against you. And Father, thank you that though that sin requires a penalty, a punishment, Father, thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus to bear our sin. He, you laid on him the iniquity of us all, all human beings for all time, Father, you laid on him. You tell us in Isaiah 53 that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And Father, we're so thankful that, Je that Jesus took our place, took our penalty, took our hell on the cross so that we could be made right with you so that we could have eternal life. And Father, we rejoice in him. We rejoice in the life we have, both eternal and abundant. And we pray today as we gather to study your word now that you would prepare us to hear, quiet our hearts, be our teacher and guide. And as we go through our day, a time of fellowship and a time of seeking your will as a church today, may you be center and may you be honored and glorified in all things today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to turn to Matthew 16 to begin with today. Because as we consider the Lord Jesus today and his death for us on the cross, we recognize that when he left the earth, it wasn't the, the, the completion of a job he came to do, though the primary job he came to do was completed. He said, it is finished, which means paid in full. Sins were paid full once and for all and forever on the cross. That's why we can be assured of the forgiveness of sins because Jesus paid it all. And yet these verses in Matthew 16 indicate that that was just the beginning of a work he is doing today. And in Matthew 16, he tells us here in in verse 18, he says, And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And though we recognize there's a play on words with Peter, which means rock, it really means little stone. And when Jesus says, upon this rock, the words are a large stone or boulder. And what he's telling us is that the church is built upon him, and Peter is part of that building, building part of that program. In fact, we're told in Ephesians that we're built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And that's the concept here. We're built upon Christ, and yet 
The way we are built is through the learning that we learn from the teaching of the apostles who were witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ and has passed on to us his teaching and his person in the, in the Bible you have on your laps today. But the phrase I'm after today is that simple phrase we often emphasize when Jesus says, I will build my church. You can tell it's future tense. It's something he's going to undertake. And every word in, in that phrase has significance, doesn't it? First of all, the Lord Jesus says, I. He identifies himself as the builder. It's his project. He is the one who undertakes it. He has taken responsibility for it. And so we look to him and we depend on him to guide and direct. He is the general contractor, the chief architect and the director, and he is the one building the church. And so that's why even today as we meet as a church, it is his will we seek because, because he is the one who is undertaking the project of building the church. And then th therefore he says, I will. I will build my church. It's something he is going to accomplish. And that's encouraging because he's never going to give up. He's never going to say, well, I'm through with you guys. He is going to continue to build this church, this body of Christ, this family of believers. It's something he will do. It is his undertaking, and he is doing it. And there may be times in our lives when we don't see much happening and, on, and, you know, from, the, from physical sight, but we know Jesus is continually in the process of building his church, the family of God, the body of Christ. The word build indicates a process, doesn't it? It's, he recognizes the process. You know, we saw, just saw the video of a building process, you know, from not quite from start. We, we didn't see the clearing of the land, the, the pouring of cement, and all that went into it. You know, even before that, there's the planning and ordering and all that stuff. But it indicates a process. But that process involves people, though, doesn't it? Because the church is people. The church refers to the family of God, the body of Christ. It extends beyond a local church to the full family of believers. And Jesus is building that church in a couple different ways. He's building it in the sense of, of quantity or numbers. In Acts 2.47, when the church, shortly after the church began and was born, it says this, praising God and having favor with the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so he's adding numbers, isn't he? Adding people. When people come to trust Christ as Savior, they become children of God. They become the part of the family of God. And it is the Lord Jesus' work to do that. He is the one that, that orchestrates our salvation. We know that we're told that Jesus sent the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who would convince us of sin and of righteousness of judgment. He's the one that convinces us that we're sinners and that we need to be righteous to go to heaven. And that apart from Christ, we're going to be judged eternally in, in, in hell. He's the one who convicts us of our sin and reveals to us the wonder of Christ. It is the work of God to work in hearts to bring people to the point of trusting Christ as Savior. And Jesus adds those in the early those who are being saved to the church. So he's, he's adding to the church quantitatively, you could say. In fact, Acts 16.5 says, so the church was strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. That's, part, that's what God is doing today. That's what he's interested in today. You, you know, and sometimes the Christianity wants to teach that, you know, that Jesus is just about making your life comfortable. And though we have great blessing in Christ, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We've seen that. Jesus, what Jesus is about today is, is building his church. And he wants to increase, increase it first quantitatively, but he also wants to strengthen it. This verse gives us a clue, it's Acts 16, 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. And so Jesus also builds his church in the sense of quality, in strengthening his children. And that's why we're told in 2 Peter 3, 18, we're to grow 
and the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We're to grow. And so he builds us quality as he makes us more like Christ. That's his undertaking. That's what he's doing in our individual lives. He's seeking to teach us how to live holy lives. Because we recognize as people that if, if, if we're sinners, and we are saved by grace, and if you trust in Christ, you are, we begin the Christian journey as babes in Christ, don't we? We don't know much about the Bible. We don't know what it means to walk by faith. We don't know all the righteous standards of God and how he wants to lead us and the things he wants to incorporate into our lives. And thus we grow, and the Bible describes growth as being, you know, from a babe to a spiritual mature adult, so to speak, in the faith. And that's what he's doing in our lives. That fact, that ought to be why we're here in church, is to, be, is to give the Spirit of God the opportunity to grow us, to make us Christ-like, to help mature us in the faith. And so he's building his church. He's faithful. And even when we're not, because oftentimes we have people sitting in churches that, that, you know, hear a message but don't hear a message, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Our minds are elsewhere. We're, we're looking forward to, to what we have going on when we get home. And, um, and though we might appreciate a good orator, maybe it doesn't really take root in our lives. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants us to open our hearts to the ministry of the Spirit of God so that the Word of God can can grow us to be like Christ so that we take what we learned on Sunday and put it in the shoe leather on Monday. And, you know, we think of an account, and we won't turn it this morning, in the book of Acts, in which people became convicted and, they, and you know, they brought, they, they, they turned from their sins, they brought, you know, the magicians brought their books and burned them into fire, if you remember that account. But it tells us that the word of, word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. When people responded to the word, the teaching of God's word, and they're willing to say, okay, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I need to make adjustments, I need to make changes. The Bible describes that as the word of God grew. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, it says. And that's what God wants in our hearts. And so he wants to grow us to be like Christ. That's a process he's undertaking. That's important to him. And we often think in terms of the Christian life, you know, of, of doing this and doing that, serving here and doing that. God's primary objective is first to grow us, to be like Christ, and then all ministry and service flows from that Christ-likeness in our lives, does it not? Well, the next word in that phrase is, just going through this quickly this morning, is I will build my church. It's his church. It belongs to him, doesn't it? And that's so important to recognize. And again, this extends beyond a local body to the entire body of Christ. It says this, this in Acts 20, 28, where Paul addressed the, the leaders, the elders at Ephesus, where he tells them, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or shepherds or elders to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He purchased it. That's why it belongs to him. You know, we belong to our God, our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And sometimes that makes us squirmish because we don't want to belong to anybody. We think we're our own person. Where reality, the, the best joy and rest and fulfillment in life is going to come when we, find, when we realize who our creator is and what we are created for. We belong to him by virtue of creation. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We, we belong to him by virtue of redemption. He purchased us with his own blood. He paid a price. That's what we celebrate today in the Lord's table. He paid a terrific price. He more than laid down his life for his friends, which the Bible commends. He did more than just die physically. He died our spiritual death. He died our hell. He took our hell on the cross. And there's never a man that loved like that. 
In fact, in anticipation of the cross, we know he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood and asked several times, Father, if there's any other way for this to be accomplished, let this cup be passed from me. Because he knew the horror he was going to face in taking our hell on the cross. He purchased it with his own blood. And when you trust Christ as Savior, you acknowledge that. He bought my salvation. I belong to him. It is his church. It is his body. Therefore, he is the one who shepherds it. It's to him we look for direction, not only for wisdom in, in what we do as a church, but for, but in submission, because it belongs to him. He's, oh, he, it says this in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, giving money is never going to get you to heaven. That's not what saves us. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's purchased his church. We belong to him. It is, I will build my church. And for those who trust Christ as Savior, it is a privilege to belong. To know where we, know where we belong. And as you learn more about our Lord Jesus Christ, we not only find belonging, but then we find purpose and meaning because we, we, the Bible reveals to us what he's up to, what history is about, and what the future is going to hold for us. And we find our place in history. It's great to belong, and we belong to him by virtue of his death for us on the cross, which we remember today. Well, he says, I will build my church. Ephesians 1, and 23 says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It is his body. See, the church is, is intrinsically linked to Jesus Christ. The word church means called out ones. And the church universal, the whole church as a whole, from, from Pentecost until, until heaven, is, is called the church of Jesus Christ. It's a living organism. It's a body. It's it dwelt by one together by one spirit, unites us in Christ. We stand to, to accepted together in Christ. It is an eternal family. It is an intrinsic family. It is a spiritual family. And yes, a person can belong to a certain physical local church, but ultimately the church you want to belong to is the universal church, the family of God. Because when you do, it's because you have trusted the Lord Jesus as your redeemer, as the one who purchased your salvation, the one who died for you because he loved you so much. For God so, so loved the world. And when we trust Christ as Savior, we become part of a family which is more eternal than our physical family. You know, sometimes it pains us to think about heaven. Are we really going to be engaged with our physical families? Because we love being part of family. And we don't know to what extent that happens. We know they're not married and given in marriage, the Bible tells us. But maybe that will be as important as our spiritual family. It is an eternal family. And that's why God puts a lot of focus in our lives to focus on our family in the Lord. That is why fellowship between believers is so unique and special. Because the local church, which is a local expression of the universal church, has, has, a, has a union that the world does not know. You know, the Elks Clubs and, you know, the Moose Clubs and the Mice Clubs and all those other clubs, you know, have a unity. If you're a Packers fan, Vikings fan, Twins fan, by the way, Twins are still playing people. And, and um, you know, those things unite you around a purpose and a cause and, and so on, but it is nothing compared to the intrinsic union we have in Christ. It extends beyond the genetics of a physical family. It is a spiritual and eternal union that we enjoy. And that's what makes fellowship special. Because we have the same Savior. We have the same home in heaven that we're looking forward to. We have the same mission and purpose in life and so on. We have that special union. And that's why you can go anywhere around the world, step into a local church that is made up of family believers and feel like you belong. 
because you're part of a family, a universal spiritual family. That union is intrinsic, and it is Jesus' church. We belong to him. That's why he has the right to direct it. It is my church. It is his family, and it's a family we'll enjoy for all eternity. So if Jesus is building his church, we have to ask ourselves, what's our role then in, in, in the participation in the building, building program? I want you to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you would, please. 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we review some, just a few basic teachings, but paramount teachings in regards to the role of the church. What should be our focus? Here in Paul writing to young pastor Timothy, he says this in verse 15 of chapter 3, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so these things are written to Timothy to give instructions on how the local church should function, but it gives a description of the church here when it says it is the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, we know a pillar is something that supports something, isn't it? When you put a pillar up, generally it's to support a column of some type. It's to support a roof or a structure, a bridge or whatever. And so the church is to support the truth. It's the pillar of the truth. Vines, in his expository dictionary, says this about this word. He said it speaks of a local church as to its responsibility in a collective capacity to maintain the doctrines of the faith by teaching and practice. Now, that was a good commentary. It's the church collectively. That is to maintain the doctrines, the teachings of the faith by teaching and practice. And I like, I think it's significant here that, uh, that Dr. Vine included the idea of practice. And so we are to teach the word of God faithfully. We're to uphold the truth. We're to support the truth. We're not to veer from it. We're not to incorporate man's ideas or philosophies or the world's attitudes. We're to support the truth. That's what the church should be known for. It should be known for the place we can turn to to get the truth of God's word. And unfortunately, that's, you don't always find that today, do we? But he also included practice. And that brings in the collective aspect because collectively we're to support the truth and we're also to live the truth. Isn't it? Because it is by practice that our true beliefs are established. Isn't it? You can say what you want, but what you practice really indicates what you really believe. And so we must support it not only in theory, but also in practice and living, isn't it? And it is, it is our pursuit and priorities in our lives that communicate to others, our children included, by the way, the reality and value of the truth of God's word. They speak loudly, doesn't it? Our practice, our pursuit and priorities communicates a lot, doesn't it? And it ought to communicate the reality and value of God's word, the truth of it. Because, because theory is empty if it does not translate into shoe leather. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Because the other part of half of this description is the ground of the truth. The word ground means buttress. Some of your versions may use that word. A foundation. And the church is to lay and maintain the foundational truths of the Bible. In other words, we're to stand for truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, God says this in verses 1 through 5, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and dead at his appearing in the kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means when it's popular and when it's not. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers 
and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In spite of the trends of the day, in spite of the, the, the new philosophies and attitudes, here the Pastor Timothy is charged to preach the word, to be watchful, to be aware of the tendency to stray from God's word and support the truth. Spiritual fads and trends come and go, but the church is to hold fast to the truth of God's word. And that's challenging today because sometimes people want that. And sometimes church leadership is tempted to go along with the fads because, because you know, if we don't have numbers, I won't have a job, so to speak. But God says, leave that to me. You just stand for the truth. You uphold the truth. You fulfill your responsibility to be the pillar and ground of the truth. And so when spiritual apathy lays hold of many, the churches that remain faithful to the absolute authority of scriptures in our lives. We take it simply, don't we? Now if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, our scripture reading this morning, we see another aspect of the function of the church. What Jesus Christ is doing and what he expects of his church. He expects it to be the pillar and ground of the truth. And here in Ephesians 4, we read that it is to equip the saints. Verse 11 tells us that God gave gifted men to the church to preach the word that the saints might be equipped for the work of the ministry. And so church is kind of like a boot camp, isn't it? And spiritual leadership are like a drill sergeant. Not in a sense of authoritatively, but in the in sense of they're not necessarily the ones in the battle. They're just preparing people for battle. And so what is the ministry? Notice in the Bible to distinguish between those who are involved and those who are not, ministry refers to all of us. We all have ministry, whether it's to our families. Our, we, have our, we all have the responsibility of the Great Commission to be a witness and to make disciples. We all have gifts to be exercised in the, in the church family. We have service to be rendered as God leads us and directs us in our lives. Fill in the blank. We all are drafted into this, into this ministry. but it, it, We're all included, but it's a privilege to do that. It's a privilege to be included, to make a difference in people's lives. And we also have this idea in, in thinking of, of a local church is, is to be sure to be part of a church that preaches the word in truth, to be part of that pillar and ground of the church, to ensure that I have a pastor that preaches the word faithfully as the full and final authority in our lives, one that takes the Bible literally and preaches it faithfully. It's our responsibility to have that. It's a, it's a responsibility to recognize that the word of God in the hands of the spirit of God is what produces produces growth and changes lives into Christ-likeness. That's what we want in spiritual leadership. And so we keep the pastor in check. That's why you open your Bibles along with the pastor to make sure they don't stray because it is our responsibility to preach the truth in love, as it says here in verse 15, speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into him in all things who is the head, which is Christ. And so the church is really a training ground to teach people the word of God that they might be equipped for the ministry God has for them whether formal or personal or otherwise. Another aspect mentioned here is corporate edification of verse 16, a wonderful verse, where it says, from whom, that is the head Christ, in verse 15, it's from him, the whole body's joined in it together. But it is by what every joint supplies according to the effectual working by every part does its share. And that causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so that qualitative growth of the body is accomplished when the truth is spoken in love so the saints can be equipped, so they can become more like Christ. And it is complemented equally here by, by fellowship between believers. That's what it's talking about. 
Every part doing its share. It's the body working together and, and doing its part and fulfilling the gifts that God has given it as we contribute to the cause of Christ together. And what happens? It's edified. It's built up in the love of Christ. And so we each have a responsibility to each other to do our sharps, our part, our share. Then that is a, then in that affects others, that builds others up, that encourages others. And maybe you've seen that when someone has walked into your, into, into your door, into your yard, into your workplace or wherever, meet them in town or at a time when things just aren't going well and a believer who's enjoying the Lord brightens your day, encourages you, reminds you to remember the goodness of God and the promises of God together. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as also you are doing. And so these are just some of the basics that are our responsibility. As we respond to the head, as we are directed by the head, because Jesus is building his church, we're his body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 2, through 24 says we complement him, we complete him, we, we fulfill him. And he has gone unto heaven, but he's left us here to contribute to his work. We're to do so by being the pillar of the ground of the truth. We're to do so by having local churches that speak the truth in love, and that fellowship together, that, other, uh, that we might be edified together. It's a simple program. And then together we fulfill the ministry of being a witness to reach others for Christ so, so more numbers can be added to the church. You know, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. This is, it is his. We belong to him. And he paid a great price for our salvation. And that's what we remember in the Lord's table to, today. Remember the terrible price that was paid. You know, it was a wonderful thing that was accomplished in accomplishing our salvation. And being a, a local church, a local expression of the universal church is just one of the cherries on the whipped cream privileges, benefits, to be part, to gather with others of like precious faith, to worship our God, to learn of our God, to serve our God, to be equipped together, to work together, to be encouraged, to witness together, to pray for one another's needs, to pray for one another's witness and their concerns in our lives. All these things are the wonderful privilege of being part of a fellowship of the saints. And so church is way more than just, you know, Sunday I go to church type thing, isn't it? It is a, it is a living, vital organism of Jesus Christ that has, a, that has a tremendous impact on our lives and on others around us and equips us to have an impact on our world because that's what God is doing today. He's building his church. He is saving souls and building up his body so they bring glory to him and, and accomplish a witness to the world. And that great price that he paid for us is part of our motivation for salvation. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought with a price, a tremendous price, I would say. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He gives two reasons to glorify God here. One is because you're indwelt by the Spirit, if you're a child of God. The other is because of the price that was paid which puts tremendous value on your salvation and on the work God is doing to save souls, to build his church, to rescue people for all eternity and to de deliver people from this present evil world. And we get to be part of that. Hebrews 12, I mention this often when G considering this, the work of Christ. It's, he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And though we read and think of his anticipation where he dreaded the cross, yet it was the joy the joy of rescuing us. And that's what he lays before us. We often often re are, are re reluctant, is the word I'm looking for, 
to get involved in sacrificial service because you know, I've got plans. And yet what a tremendous privilege it is to give up everything to accomplish everything for eternity, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says this, For the love of Christ compels us, his love for us compels us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And once again, his great love for us is our motivation and should, should instill in us a desire to live for him. Romans 14, verses 7 through 9 says this, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Whether you think so or not, I don't care how far back in the back, for, back 40 you go to hide from the world, no one lives to himself, no one dies for himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You just can't escape that. We're created by him, we're redeemed by him, and we don't live for ourselves, we live for him. And so why does serving the Lord sacrificially seem to be an inconvenience? Maybe it's because we have our own plans for our lives. Maybe because we lose sight of the great price that was paid in the tremendous value of forgiveness of sins and the assurance of eternal life. And that's, the way, that's why we remember. I believe that's part of the remembering aspect of the Lord's table is to remember that price, to remind us of the value, not only of our salvation, but of being participants, being engaged in the work of the gospel in the work Christ is doing. We need to see it for the privilege that it is. It's a great, it's a great value in making a difference in others' lives, whether it's presenting Christ to the lost, encouraging one another in the faith, serving the needs of those around us, whatever it might be. You know, these are the things that Jesus described in John 15 when he said I did, his desire was that our fruit should remain, that our lives should produce the kind of fruit that would remain, not just the kind of fruit that just gets us through the day, our earthly pursuits, but that our lives would be fruitful in a way, things of eternal value, things that will remain, things that affect people for eternity. And, those are the, and, and that's the privilege that we have of being part of this building program. And so today as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ as we remember him in the Lord's table, let's not only rejoice in his great love for fallen mankind and that he took my sin, your sin, on, on his back on the cross, died and rose again, not only to remember his unconditional grace in which he offers that salvation freely and forgiveness of sins if we would just trust him as our savior from sin, but may we be motivated by his love to carry on the work. He's gone unto heaven. He's chosen us and ordained us that we should bring forth fruit and that fruit should remain. And so we're to carry on that work, the work he is doing, every day counting the tremendous privilege to be involved in such a great objective. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful, not only for what the Lord Jesus did for us, Father, but we are also thankful that you have included us in your building program. You have chosen us to represent you, to carry your message, to share with others the love of Christ through life and lip. And Father, we're thankful for that privilege. And so as we turn to the Lord's table and as we remember our Savior, Father, may we not only be rejoicing in the, in, in the forgiveness of sins, the fact that our penalty has been paid, that we've been freed from that condemnation and assured of eternal life, Father, but we may rejoice in what Jesus is doing today in our, in our lives, whether personally or corporately. And may we, Father, grow in, in, in our desire to live for him who died for us and rose again. So be glorified as we especially remember our Savior now today in Jesus' name. Amen.